Hey, it's Dave. You know, sometimes when I listen to podcasts, I am doing other things. I'm working out. I'm uh, getting a Starbucks iced mocha. I am maybe trying to get some email done on my computer. I'm not fully attentive. Are you fully attentive right now? Are you distracted? You know, the more successful we become, the more distractions are going to interrupt us. Today's episode is 10 ways to reduce distractions and be more productive. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode number 95. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help people be better leaders through improved communications, human relations, and personal productivity. And that's what we're talking about today, personal productivity. How can we tackle all these distractions that we have going on around us? And man, we have a lot of them, all of us. I know I started a list thinking about all the distractions I have on a daily basis, even an hourly basis. And it's crazy. Email, phones, interruptions. The more successful we become, the more effective we become as leaders, the more distractions we're going to get. And that's why today I wanted to invite in Lynn Kaufman and Michael Valentine, who are experts in helping people and organizations to focus and be more productive. And they have got 10 things that we can all do that will help us reduce our distractions and be more productive. So here's my conversation with Lynn and Michael. I'm thrilled to welcome two guests this week who I've learned uh, many things from before, and I'm so glad to be able to bring them uh, to our listening audience as well. And my guests are Lynn Kaufman and Michael Valentine. They are with Kaufman Valentine and Associates, and they work with organizations to help them with their knowledge workers to do the right work at the right time in the most effective way. And I saw both of them speak a couple of years ago on just productivity and efficiency, and they have a real expertise and uh, gift for helping organizations look at productivity and particularly things around technology and email and communication and processes. And so I'm so excited to welcome them. Lynn, Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. We're happy to be here. Well, I am thrilled to talk about our list today, 10 ways to reduce distractions and to be more productive. Uh, and you have some wonderful thoughts here. So I can't wait to get into this and to uh, help our audience to really start thinking about some of these things. But before we get into that, I, I just wanted to ask both of you briefly, It's it's been a little bit since we talked in person. I was just wondering, how did you get started in doing this work? I'll start. Uh, basically, I spent... 20 years working with IBM, and when I left them in uh, 1989, I started doing business process consulting hmm. and found that uh, I had to actually do coaching to help people implement a lot of the things that we had uh, worked on, and that channeled me off into this career that I've been doing for, well, since then. So that's briefly my background. Fantastic. Hi. I'm sorry, Dave. I come from a, a little bit different angle. I come from uh, an arts background. Uh, I had been working in professional theater, but more on the on the marketing and levels of production side. Uh, so I had learned how to do things and work as 
situations changed very quickly and found that that was a skill set that a lot of people were not able to do is kind of change on a dime and still get the outcome at the time they needed it out. You know, the more, Lynn, I work in business, the more I realize how much all of us in business can learn from the arts and from creativity and flexibility. I'm sure you see opportunities for that all the time. Sure do. And from a business perspective, it's usually coming in the research and development, uh, the marketing, the PR, and in sales uh, in particular, as well as executive teams who have to adjust to the outside external changes all of the time. And, uh, you know, the fact that I was a music major in college and played jazz for a while uh, really helps with the creative and the flexibility because if you're listening to jazz, you have to go where it goes. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing to me how often the topic of jazz has come up on the show in the last few weeks, actually. So, uh, so, but that, but that's a discussion for another day, probably. So, uh, so let's jump in here. And speaking of adapting and being flexible on the go, uh, a lot of the things that we're talking about today are things that you know may seem uh, may seem like, well, you know, if we look at them, something that seems I don't want to say obvious, but things that you know we've heard before. But really, it comes down to what we're doing in our daily practices in order to be as productive as possible. So Lynn and Michael have identified 10 ways that we can reduce distractions and to be more productive. And so um, Lynn, Michael, I'm going to turn it over to you and let's hit on this first one. You mentioned the importance, first of all, of turning off self-interrupting technologies. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that? Yes, I'd be happy to talk about that. Uh, We are becoming more and more a society of ADD people. Even if you don't have an official diagnosis of that, everything is coming fast and furiously and changing and grabbing our focus. You can't walk down a street without seeing the signs that change on a, you know, as you're driving past them. You're texting, you're having conversations with people. And a lot of this has to be controlled so that you are still keeping the focus and getting where you need to go and not being Bragged off topic, if you will. And a lot of the very simple things that you can do is how many people have the thing you've got mail? They may or may not have it in that, you know, like the old movie, but they are constantly allowing those things to draw their attention. They keep their fel- uh, cell phones on to vibrate so they can uh, know something else is coming on while they're having live conversations. They may try to text multiple people at the same time and carry on multiple conversations and those dings are coming back. Uh, you are constantly being interrupted with emails that, that pop up and, because people are looking at their email window instead of working on what they need to be working on and are allowing the email to drive what they do. Um, Lynn, have, is there good research that shows like how much this is impacting our productivity? Yes, there's actually a, a, a survey that came out not too long ago from a company called IT Business Edge. And they have calculated that approximately $1,250 per user or per employee is lost in annual productivity because they're dealing with just spam and unnecessary emails. And I want to explain a little bit more what unnecessary emails are. Because spam isn't what spam, spam is usually filtered out in organizations. The really vile stuff is is taken care of. But spam is more like you sign up for a, a gazillion uh, newsletters, it's stuff you kind of want to hear about. It's hearing all of the pinging te- uh, communications between people that you don't necessarily need to know about. 
it's that kind of stuff that you have some connection to, but really does do an interference with the way that you do your daily work. It's kind of interesting that there was also another study that was done through um, a business school, and they were talking about uh, different ways that eat up your time in these communication channels uh, during the course of a week. And what was interesting is it says 26% of the time is working on email. Think about that. A quarter of your time is spent on email. When are you going to have time to work? They have 26% of the time on texting, and that, of course, has to be adjusted somewhat by uh, the type of work and by the age group. Uh, then they have 11% talking on the phone, and they have 9% working on networking sites. If you add those numbers up, you're getting to a very high percentage of your day, and it may or may not be driving to actually getting work done. What is one thing that many people could do just as a starting point that would start to limit some of that that you recommend to people when you're working with them? Well, one of the things that I just did as we were getting ready for this broadcast is I turned off my cell phone. I mean, that's a simple thing. But most people do not even understand that there's an off button to these things or there's a mute. And um, you don't turn it off constantly. You don't have it off all of the time. But there are times when you really have to focus on what you're doing. And you can control to a, to a certain extent how much you allow yourself to be interrupted. I also think in an office situation where most people are bombarded by email, that's probably the biggest thing that they are usually complaining about, is that they turn off all of the notifications. They do not hear a, a, a sound notification, and they do not see a visual notification. You want to be able to go to email when you want to pull it, not have it interrupt you. And that's a self-interrupter you have 100% control over. Sounds like great advice. So let's look at number two here, corral your communications. And you point out that email isn't the only communication channel, that we should know what are the channels that are out there and what's the best tool for the job. Tell us more about that. Well, I think people really haven't thought about communications and how they send them. Uh, everyone just kind of does it. It's coping, and they kind of just kind of uh, wander aimlessly into what they do. So. What we do is, we, since we do come out of some lean system training in, in the way that we have approached our works, we want to look at this as a set of tools that you would have in your toolbox. And just as if you were a painter approaching a canvas, you would want to know how to get the different shades of green to paint leaves, or you want to know how to uh, represent water. You want to have different colors, in that case, to represent what you want to do. When you're approaching work in an office, the way that work um, is on through an organization to get to the, the whatever it is the customer is getting from that particular organization is through communications. That's how we get ideas transmitted. So it is about what are the tools that you have at your disposal. There are a multitude of them. Not every company has all of them. They don't need to have them, all of them. But it's knowing what is in your arsenal to work with. So of course. Everyone has email. Everyone has a phone. Everyone has a, usually has ability to fax. They have the ability to pass a note or a memo back and forth. They have voicemail. They may also have teleconferencing capabilities. They may also be working in some form of 
shared application where they can look at documents and work on them in real time together or be able to pull from them. Uh, they have go to meetings so they don't have to necessarily travel to a place and can have uh, meetings that way. They can work with wikis to pass on tacit information about the organization. These are just some of the elements that go into the communication arsenal. You not only have that, but you have to know what it is you're communicating, when and to whom, and what's the best way to get that conveyed. Uh, years ago, we did some work with Dr. Lewis Fries, uh, who has a company called um, Horizon, I believe. Harmony. Harmony, yes. And uh, in our joint work, uh, all that he had developed, very simple way of looking at how you communicate. What are the different types of communication that go on, especially in a business environment? And he identified three. One is a handoff, one is a coordination, and the other is collaboration. Handoff means you're just passing some I'm going to be in Seattle tomorrow, period. That's it. There's no reason to do anything else once you understand that message is done. The second type is coordination. Uh, Lynn, can we have lunch together on Thursday? Well, that communication is not complete until she has understood that, responded back to me, and I've understood it. Collaboration is something that you need to come out of the interaction with the decision, with a new understanding, or something that is more involved. So, um, and that is how are we going to um, prepare for our session with Dave that's coming up on Friday? Well, that's not something that is just a handoff and coordination. We have to do some work around that. Uh, the different channels that Lynn just talked about, the different ways that you can communicate, uh, not all of them are necessarily right for all these different types of communication. So in doing our work, we talk to people about if it's a handoff, email is a great channel for that. But email may not be a great channel for collaboration. So one of the things we do is we really talk about marrying the communication type to the communication channel and making sure you're using the right one at the right time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, this leads really well into point number four. So let's skip number three here for just a moment and jump down to number four, which is closing loops. And I know one of the things you say is that when you start a task, kind of taking it through its to its natural conclusion is key. So if you're going to open up an email and read it, you know, decide what to do with it then versus just letting it sit there. Um, and I was wondering if maybe you could share your 4A system that I know you both teach on email with us. So everyone gets emails. And what happens, your email is just full of a this and a that, and there's no context to any of the stuff that's coming into your inbox. So the way that you get the greatest focus and ability to keep things moving and not just have it pile up in an endless pile is that you have to have a system approach and routine to make sure that you get that down to zero every time you open the inbox. There are many techniques to help you, but one of the ones that we have in our book, Play the Email Monster, is that you use this for email. And it's really a, a set of four questions that you, you ask yourself every time you open an email. And it's going to make you do an action which will move it out of your inbox. The four A's, the system, is you're going to ask yourself, to, what do you need to act, act, allocate, or assign it? So obviously open it, you don't need it. You're going to ask it, delete it, get rid of it, whatever word you want on that. If you open it 
and it's something you can do in roughly two minutes or less. In other words, it's a quick reply back to someone. You do it right then and there. It's not has nothing to do with priorities. You're just getting it done and going on to the next. The, the third thing is XX allocate means it's going to take you more than two minutes, so you have to determine when you're going to do it. That's the critical point, not that if you're going to do it, when you're going to do it. And you put that in a location. It can be in your email system. It could be in some other things where you will go back to that on the time you have designated to do the work. And the final one is uh, uh, allocate or assign. I have to sing it like the alphabet to remember it myself. Uh, and that's if you're not going to do the work, someone else is. It's, it's the delegate section. You're going to send it immediately to the person who's going to be doing the work so it doesn't sit in your inbox and therefore make an urgent problem for the person you ultimately are assigning it to. And I'm guessing that a key with this system is really doing it with consistency each time you open up your email box and spend time processing email. Exactly. And, and uh, the other thing that makes it work is that you have to realize that doing your email should be a piece of work all to itself. One of the problems that people have, which goes back to that number one question, is they do email uh, in React mode. They're sitting there doing something else. The ding goes off, and they can't help themselves but looking at it. Most people look at it, decide they can't do anything with it because they're really trying to focus on something else, so they close it in the inbox. What we recommend is that you don't go to your email until you are allotting enough time and focus to process everything that's in there. And you process it with the four A's. Okay, so let's go back to number three here because I skipped that. Apologies for jumping around here. So number three, you mentioned using space as a tool. And, and this is interesting that you bring this up because I think a lot of leaders, um, you know, I hear the term open door policy a lot. And I think a lot of us in leadership roles really try to be accessible to people as much as we can be. And that is sort of a double-edged sword, though. And one of the things I find myself coaching people on is, you know, you don't always have to be available at every minute. It's okay to close your door once in a while. Can you uh, say some more about this and what, you know, how you think about office environments and utilizing space as a tool? Be happy to do that. You were right. When we're, I'm working with senior executives, they're often almost overreacting to the point of they want to be available to their people. You, you do want to be available to people, but you are also being hired to do a specific job. And if you don't honor that you need the time to do that part of the job, you're hurting not only yourself, but you're hurting the organization. So it's finding that balance between what you, when you want to be uh, accessible to everyone at all times and when you don't in order to do more work. Another way to do that without closing the door is you, you, work, you turn at a 90-degree angle to the door so your side is to the door instead of your face, and people will be less likely to walk in unless they're very important to do so. Small, hmm. That's just a small change in the way that you sit, which will encourage or damp down people coming in all the time. The other thing is you want to use your environment to inspire and renew you. Since I do come from the arts, I understand and believe the environment can really help the way that you work and increase or decrease your productivity. If I am personally trapped in a small dark room all by myself, I'm not going to work very well. I don't like that environment. So it is in knowledge work, because we are not machines, we need to be able to understand if the environment helps us or not. I had a, a client where it was the what I'll call the gray cube farm for, for all of their workers, 
And the person that was in this particular uh, cube thought that was just not an inspiring enough office. So what he did was so simple and yet so powerful. He decided to start to clear everything off his desk and, and supposed to have nothing showing, so it was a very lean, clean look, which can also be sterile. So to make it not sterile, he decided to collect water bottles, you know, whether it was Avion or was Perrier or whatever it was, and pretty soon people were kind of having, bringing him these offbeat water bottles. And he arranged those in his office space as art pieces. And so it gave something for people to talk about. It gave him something for his eyes to rest on when he needed to take a little break. Uh, it did not clutter up what he was doing. And so it was a very creative use of his own personal space in, a, in an environment that had a very restrictive policy on how you could decorate your office. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up, Lynn, because I was um, just meeting with someone uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I walked in their office, and they had kind of little toys all over their desk, and I thought it was interesting. And you know, I I pick I, I picked one up, and I was starting to mess with it, and and she was telling me that you know people come in and they pick them up, and it's just it's a great rapport builder because um, you know it's just like a fun different thing in the environment, and I thought it was really interesting how she was very intentional about just creating rapport and and by just by using space or introducing something else to the space it was fascinating to watch yes you know one other angle of this too in talking about space as a tool there's a real push now toward the open office environment and there's oh. a lot of yeah companies who don't have closed offices anymore everyone is in an open space but they have done things like uh, create collaboration spaces for times when people need to get together with the group so they'll go and sit around uh, places. Some of them have quiet rooms where you can just go, very small room to go do concentrated work when you don't want to have any other distractions. So companies are thinking more and more about how to utilize space in a way that's much more creative and yet meets the needs that any group or person may have at any moment. I think that's a great trend. So this is good because uh, it's interesting how these all fit together, and I think this leads into the point number five here, which is honoring commitments to yourself as much as you honor them with others. And I think about that from a space standpoint, as far as blocking time and you know taking the time to to not just always be responsive or reactive to others. Um, what types of what types of things you know? I think I think a lot of people don't necessarily do this well as far as how they're blocking and managing time. What have you seen that have been some effective practices for people you work with? Well, one of the first things that I ask people to do is to give up the tyranny of the urgent. Most people feel that they have to be totally in react mode, response mode, and they wind up having spent so much time responding to other people that then they don't feel they have time to do what they're actually being paid to do. So one of the things that we really recommend is that people utilize their calendars to, re to reflect their own demands on their time as much as they de uh, use it to reflect other people's demands on their time and to um, carve out not huge chunks of time because the real world says things will crop up, but to carve out and plan for focus time, quiet time, me time. And that me time is not selfish. That's time to actually focus on what you're being paid to do. Mm. Well, and this is, you say in uh, point number six here, to know where you are at all times. So using lists, calendars, spreadsheets, and other thinking tools to 
know what work you should be doing, what your group should be doing. And I, I guess the question that comes up for me around this, and one of the things I know I struggle with, is I've gone to both extremes of having you know things really well planned out and structured, and then I sort of inevitably run into the challenge each week of, well, then you know life happens and you know client requests happen, and it seems like the schedule never really ends up happening. Or, and I've gone to the other extreme of not planning things at all, and it seems like I'm then not as effective at working long-term projects. Um, what do you advise when you're working with people? How do you coach people to kind of find that middle ground, to have that good, solid plan, but at the same time to be responsive and flexible? One of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they plan is they think they can plan the entire day or the entire week. And they think that things will go from now to the objective in a straight line. And it almost never does because there are always external and internal things that go on that will affect how things get from A to the objective. So one of the things that I recommend people do is not try and plan so solidly that you don't leave yourself wiggle room. When you're playing jazz, you know that the drummer could wind up doing something that takes you off in a different direction. Mm. So the overall structure, the overall system that you're playing in, the chord patterns and everything, hold, but you can be flexible within that. So, so what I advise people is don't plan to the nth degree. Plan for uh, emergencies. Plan for interruptions. Uh, break your work into doable pieces and plan to do little pieces along the way. Everyone has the mistaken expectation that they have eight hours in which to do work. And they're, they have all this giant list of to-do things that they need to do. And the to-do list usually adds up to be about five weeks of work, not what you need to do that particular day. Mm. So we are very good at creating to-do lists. I think we need to create some not-to-do lists. We also have the belief that we can accomplish everything. It's kind of like that ancient ad where I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in pan. I mean, it's where you can do it all. You can't do it all. And so the first thing you have to do is what is the objective? What are you trying to accomplish in a bigger level? Everyone is working so hard in the weeds, they need to come out of them a little bit to like a 30,000 level to see what is it, my responsibilities, what is my job supposed to be delivering, and then decide whether or not all those activities, A, need to be done. If they do, do you need to be doing them or do you need to delegate them? And you can delegate, and it's not always because of a... Uh, reporting structure. You can delegate your technology to assist you as, as a personal assistant. You can delegate helping uh, peers that are helping you uh, break through a problem. So think about delegation in a different way than most people traditionally think about. And so uh, it sounds like the solution to this problem is just multitasking, right? Oh, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm I'm uh, messing with you, of course, because number seven here is multitasking is a myth, and this is something that boy we all try to do. Uh, Lynn, Michael, I know I try to do this more often than I'd like, and there's so much research now that has come out that this is a myth, and that it really is. Um, it really is a downfall for a lot of productivity, um, even though people believe that it, it's really helpful. And so can you share a little bit about why this is a myth? Uh, yeah. You know, one of the things people say is, you know, even computers multitask. Humans should be able to multitask. Computers don't multitask. People don't multitask. What they do is work switch. Computers happen to be able to work switch really fast. 
But even a computer, if you wind up having four or five programs open on your computer, what do you notice? It starts to slow down. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Yeah. Well, the same thing happens to people. One of the things that I do in sessions is I have people do a multitasking experiment where I have them write multitasking is a myth on one line and on the second line write one number one through the number 19 but I have them do it by writing M and then one and then U and then two and L then three you see what I'm doing mm, yep and that's multitasking and I time them how long it takes them to do that and then I have them do the same thing writing multitasking is a myth and then one through 19 but do them separately. Multitasking is a myth all at once, and 1 through 19 all at once. And what happens is most people do it in at least a third less time Wow! by concentrating on it. Because what you're doing is you're switching mental states every time you think you're multitasking. Yeah, and I know there's been some fMRI studies now that have been done that have really proven, uh, or at least I, shouldn't, I suppose there's never proof in research, but strongly, strongly, strongly are supporting evidence that the human brain just can't process more than one thing at a time. Yes, we can switch back and forth really quickly, but when you get down to the actual biology of it, uh, we're better off doing one thing at a time. Microsoft did a study on their, their employees about it, and they found if they were doing this work switching, which is the, work, the term that Michael and I use, uh, it takes 15 minutes to return from one thing to another if it's a serious mental task. The human brain really can't hold two concentrated, high-function mental processes at the same time. So number eight is build quiet time and play into your day. And you say that knowledge workers are paid to think and reflect and absorb and solve problems. If you're mentally tired, take a break. Lynn, Michael, you're not seriously suggesting that we should actually think when we're doing work, really? What a concept. What a concept. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Like, it's, it's almost like, and we've talked about this in the show before, but it's like if you're not on the phone or uh, answering 400 emails in three hours or, or running around like crazy, the perception in a lot of at least corporate America is you're not working. And I really find that a struggle for a lot of my clients who are trying to um, figure out ways to be more productive. Do you run into that same thing? Yeah, we were working at Lexus back in the Midwest. And uh, there's one young, I mean, there were a group that I was coaching, Lynn was coaching another group. So we do a round robin, we go and check in on people with, with what we've asked them to do. I walked into this one young man's uh, office and he was just sitting there with his feet up on the desk staring out the window. And I said, great, and I left him alone. And then when we had the group meeting later, I brought it up. I said he was sitting there again, and, and everyone said, ah, ha, ha, yeah, he's thinking. And they were making a big joke about that. Hmm. And I said, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing, and that's exactly what he should be doing because your brain solves problems, does deeper thinking when you allow it to rest enough. When you're trying to be a problem solver or come up with new innovative ideas, you have to be able to allow to make connections with things that are not necessarily in a straight line. And the only way you do it is to allow yourself the time to do that. I'm going to give you an example of how this usually manifests in when we're talking about meetings. 
Usually what happens is you schedule a meeting from 9 to 10. People show up between 9 and 5 after 9, and then they quit at 10, and they have another meeting scheduled at 10, and then they're racing down the hall trying to do that. During the first meeting, they may have been taking some notes about things, but we've got to get to the next meeting, close everything up, and dash off. How do you know what's happened in the meeting? How do you reflect on whether that was the right uh, thing to be doing? How do you remember the actions that you've been promised to other people? How do you get your, your, your work um, loop closed enough that you can drop it, not be ruminating it about it throughout the course of the day, and try to remember and recall things then when the next meeting comes up on that particular topic? So we really do recommend kind of the mashup, if you will, of you have to be able to use these, schedule the time to be able to allow that to be absorbed, reflected upon, determine what you're going to do next, so that you have enough perspective to see if you're really dashing off and doing the right things. Let's look at number nine here, roll with the punches. You say work is messy, it never goes exactly to plan, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, but it sounds like this is really just having that right attitude about how we approach work. It is about not only having the right attitude for yourself, but if you're in a position of leadership, you need to pass that on to your employees or your, other, your reports, I'm sorry. Uh, we run into this oftentimes where uh, we may be working with a unit and they say the boss expects XYZ, we have to be available to do this and change our schedule and drop things to the top of a hat. And because I have been working with that senior executive, I know that may not be actually what he or she expects. So I'll challenge them on that and have to perhaps bring in the manager with the, the people that report to him so we can get that cleared so expectations are laid for the group. So it does start with yourself to the degree that you have control over that, but it does. As Michael said earlier, I have never done anything myself personally that's gone perfectly on from point A to point B. You have to know it doesn't, so you apply for that. And it's Usually what happens here, uh, that the people that have the most trouble with it are those who have perfectionistic tendencies. And that is about self-expectation and an unrealistic self-expectation. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know anything about that, Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> and and it is that, so that is knowing yourself and knowing and recognizing when you're kind of going into that mode, if you will, and knowing how to pull yourself out of it. So it's always a self-correcting mechanism that you need to put into place. Number 10 here is sharpen your skills saw. You know, things are always changing, evolving, technology is always changing. And so you really challenge people to schedule the time to learn new ways of working. One of the things I'm always thinking about is how can I continue to learn? So I spend a lot of time reading, listening to podcasts, trying to fill my mind when I'm on the road or working out. Uh, And what I'm wondering is what both of you do that sharpens your saw professionally and personally? I actually have it built as a a routine into my day. And it becomes such a routine for me that if I don't do it for some particular reason, I am anxious that it didn't happen. So what I did was that I take quiet time every morning around breakfast time. So it's before my actual work day technically begins. And I am allowing myself to learn whatever kind of grabs my attention. I do a lot of business reading. I learn about how human uh, dynamics and group dynamics work. 
I learn about, I read about technologies and where they're going and try to discern, uh, you know, the hype from the practical application because we're kind of bottom line pragmatic people uh, and how it will actually help you. Uh, and in fact, just this morning I happened to be reading in all things a style magazine because, you know, I am a girl and I do read besides just business. And they were talking about uh, a productivity app for group texting. Hmm. And so I thought, oh, I have an application for that. It would be, be helpful. So I took the time to then seek out an application, download it, and have given it a try this morning to see if I can improve my productivity with a group that I consistently need to send notifications to. It is not a communication tool for collaboration. But when you have to send the same notice to a number of people, it would save a great deal of your time. The thing that I do, the things that I do are actually different. Uh, but I have identified two or three um, associations that I stay up on. One is ComNexus down in uh, San Diego. That is very good for me to attend periodically because they're always talking about the leading edge of technology especially social technologies. So that's one thing. The other thing is I have been mentoring business uh, students at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Oh, cool. The, the value of that is that I am getting a little long in the tooth, and it keeps me plugged in, and I learn probably as much from young people that I'm mentoring as they learn from me in terms of my general business knowledge. Mm. Uh, and those two things really keep me on the, on the leading edge. For instance, we, we went to Office 365 probably the first day that it was uh, announced because we learned about the cloud through some of our other activities probably five years ago before most people were even talking about it. So we consciously look for things that keep us learning and maybe not on the bleeding edge, but on the leading edge of business issues. Lynn, Michael, we have covered a lot of ground today. And so I'm going to challenge our audience to go and to check out the show notes for this episode because we've I've gone ahead and listed all 10 of the things that Lynn and Michael have talked about here today in detail on the website. And what I would challenge you to do is to choose one of these that you can take action on it. Uh, you know, one of the things we talked about before we even started uh, broadcasting today is uh, Lynn and Michael and I were talking about the importance of simplicity. So don't try to do all ten of these at once. Take one that you could uh, apply, and if that works for you, that's going to help you to get the most value out of this. Lynn, Michael, I'm so thankful that you were able to join me today, and I so appreciate your wisdom and your expertise on this topic. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you so much. We really enjoyed it, Dave. Thank you. Lynn Kaufman and Michael Valentine are with Kaufman, Valentine, and Associates. Lynn, Michael, thanks so much. I hope you will try one of these and uh, let me know what happens. I'd love to hear what works for you and what results you have when you're doing this. And please do share it with me and our community. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash 95. 
That is the link for the show notes. So all 10 of them are up there, the details. Uh, also, how to reach Lynn and Michael. They've got some great information on their website. So they're at kaufmanvalentine.com. So check them out as well. But all their information is up there on the site. And uh, if you uh, join the conversation, do that at the bottom of the notes there, and uh, I'll jump in too, and I'd love to chat with you and hear what works for you. And you can, of course, always call in feedback to me too. That's at 94938LEARN, and my email address is feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, episode number 100 is not that far away. This is episode 95 episode 100 and the two-year anniversary of this show is just around the corner in August. And I am just thrilled to be hitting this milestone and I can't wait to air the 100th episode and have a whole bunch of great episodes actually coming up between now and episode 100 as well. But on episode number 100, there's going to be something uh, really cool happening and the show is going to be about you, success stories from our community members. That is you. I want to really take that whole episode and just make it about you and what you've gained from this show. And so one of the things I'm uh, putting out the call here early, a few weeks early, so I can get as many people involved as possible and share as many of your stories on episode number 100 as possible. And so I would love to hear from you. Uh, If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, and that would be for, oh, I don't know, at least one episode. (laughs) So if you've listened to this show and you found something helpful, call in, uh, leave me a message. But in particular, though, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, even, even just a few episodes, I would really love to hear what you've gained from it. Uh, how you've applied it, and what you've gotten out of it. And so here's what I'd suggest. One of two things, either call in to our voicemail feedback hotline, and uh, especially if you're here in the States, that's a really easy thing to do. That number again is 949-38-LEARN, and leave me a message. And I'd suggest a three-step outline, uh, you know, if you're looking for an outline. If you're not, just call in and just say whatever. That's great too. I'll listen to whatever you have to say. But if you're looking for a kind of a structure around it, uh, here's what I'd suggest. Uh, tell me one thing you've discovered from listening to this show in the last however many episodes you've listened to. How did you apply it? And what was the result? So that's pretty straightforward. One thing you've discovered, how you applied it, and what was the result you got from it? Personal, professional, leadership, communication, human relations, anything we've talked about relating to the show, I'd love to hear it. So that's one way to do it. The other way is if you want to do it on computer, you can just go to coachingforleaders.com slash speak. And if you do that, that'll take you to a website. You can actually record right on your computer. If you've got a microphone built on your computer and almost all computers do these days, especially if you're using a laptop, you can record right there. Uh, there is a 90-second limit on that page, so uh, you'll have to be pretty concise. But uh, but uh, if you want to talk for 20 minutes, call in the feedback, uh, voicemail feedback hotline, although I, I think there's some limit at some point. But anyway, I would love to hear from you regardless. So again, 949-38-LEARN or coachingforleaders.com slash speak. Uh, leave me a message. You won't hear from me for a couple weeks because I'm going to start collecting them now, but please do uh, leave the messages, the stories. I'd love to hear about what you discovered listening to the show, how you applied it, and what results that you've gotten. So thanks in advance if you're able to do that. I so look forward to hearing your voices, and I know that you will really enjoy listening to episode 100 well, uh, 100 as well and hearing what other members of the Coaching for Leaders community have 
benefited from from this show. And speaking of community members, thank you so much to Angie Garcia, to Diane Folks. Hey, Diane, how are you? Glad you're listening. Uh, Kevin Stenger, Peter Trudell, Bob Berg, Frank Drake, Kwamar Munir, Robin O'Quinn, and Muhammad Ayaz for following me this week, either on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. Hey, if you'd like to stay connected too, go to coachingforleaders.com. Find those social media icons on the top of the page. You know what they look like. Click on the one that you like and connect with me that way. I send out articles, notes, uh, random stuff during the week. Uh, Well, not that random, but things that I think are going to help you to be a better leader. So check me out there. And hey, if you're not already getting the weekly article for me with that weekly booster shot of uh, information that'll help you to lead better, be sure to get that. Go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will get you onto the weekly article. I send it out usually on Wednesdays, and that way you'll get something of value midweek as well, too. Hey, have a great 4th of July for those of you here in the States. Uh, Luke and I are heading to Illinois to visit his grandparents. Four hours with a 16-month-old on a plane. (laughs) It should be fun. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.